Cincinnati at Tennessee, seeing a consensus of Titans minus three and a half, total 47 and a half. Yeah, the hook is very scary. Uh, I think this is accurately priced. Let me put it that way. I think Tennessee minus three and a half is is the right number. If you look at the market making books right now, so that's like the big sharp offshores taking big bets. Uh, they're a little bit shaded towards Cincinnati at three and a half. So I do think it's more likely to come back down, if anything, uh, than go up. But honestly, probably settles in right around here. Uh, I've been looking for ways to potentially play Tennessee in this game because I do like the matchup for them. And I feel that if I'm underrating a unit in this game, it's probably the Tennessee offense, which is very, very difficult to model at this point because we only have an eight-week sample of all their starters being on the field together, weeks one to eight, where they were borderline top 10 offense in terms of success rate, EPA, DVOA, and then kind of just repeatedly fell off a cliff down the stretch with the Derrick Henry injury, uh, injury, AJ Brown, Julio Jones. Um, So we don't really know what Tennessee is, but defensive line problems have been talked about ad nauseum for the Bengals, especially on the interior. They're going to have Trey Hendrickson back, but that's going to hurt them this week. I'm also not a huge fan of the Bengals defense, probably, I mean, partially because I shouldn't even say partially, mostly because they played a very easy schedule of opposing offenses this year. And you look at them and they're basically a league average defense, having played a very, very easy schedule of offenses. They're probably below average defense overall. Um, so I've been trying to figure out a way that I can play Tennessee. I heard uh, Clev TA, who's done some stuff with you on the Bet US um, podcast this year, yep. um, speaking with Adam Chernoff yesterday about uh, potentially looking at a Tennessee first half bet which is, I mean, it made a pretty intriguing case for me uh, in that my, getting the minus two and a half where Tennessee is much more likely to be out in front in this game and Cincinnati working from behind. Whereas if it's the opposite way around and Cincinnati comes out to a, a, a big lead, it's harder for Tennessee to come back in that type of game. So I do kind of get that angle. Um, I'm also kind of curious about some of the props in this game. I'm not a typically a props better myself, but whenever you get something like a Derrick Henry returning to a lineup, which it's not official yet, but in all likelihood, that's what's happening this week. That has a very, um, that changes a lot of outcomes on the field. And I think a lot of people are naturally going to just gravitate towards Derrick Henry himself and say, okay, I'm betting Derrick Henry over. He's got a great matchup here. Um, but to me, I start looking at other players where I think Derrick Henry's presence actually helps the passing game a whole lot more. And I think it opens things up for Ryan Tannehill specifically in goal line situations or red zone situations where we saw this early in the year quite a bit with Henry in the lineup, but having him run like a naked bootleg, for example, uh, just because the threat of Henry running into the end zone there is, is way, way too high. Um, and he's also a very good quarterback sneaker as well. So I, I actually placed a bet today on Ryan Tannehill first touchdown score Um Again, I shopped the line. Best price I could find was 20 to 1, but he's in the 18 to 1 range. Uh, and I also like him as an anytime touchdown scorer in this game, which, uh, depending on where you're betting it, you can get anywhere between 3 to 1 and plus 350. So just looking at alternate angles to attack these games this week. One thing that I think could determine this game, and it kind of ties in with what you talked about with Tannehill maybe sneaking or running a naked boot like near the goal line. The red zone. On one hand, Tennessee for at least the third year in a row, as far as I could track, one of the elite teams in the league scoring touchdowns when they reached the red zone. I know it was otherworldly a couple years back when they reached the AFC title game, but they've sustained a great degree of red zone efficiency in recent years. Maybe that's due to regress at a certain point, and that could kind of backfire on their whole offense. On the other side of things, 
Cincinnati coming off a game in which it didn't play all that well to beat the Raiders at home. And the Raiders were just one for five in the red zone. Had the Raiders been league average 60%, odds are they win that game. So this could be a step up for Cincinnati in that sense. Is there any merit, do you think, to the Titans now three-year run of really good red zone production or anything you think the Bengals could do to keep Tennessee in check? Because if Tennessee does its thing in the red zone, it might be tough for the Bengals to keep up. I think when you start to see consistency across multiple years, there's something to it. There's something that, whether it's Mike Vrabel's, you know, his coaching style or, or the plays that they call, uh, again, having a, a quarterback like T- Tannehill who is sneaky athletic, I will call it, in the sense that um, you wouldn't think he's the type of guy that could be able to run run it in, but he he really is. And they, they just do a lot of things um, well in the red zone, but particularly... I think the ability to run play action on the goal line when you do have a back like Derrick Henry, it's it's a huge advantage. And I'm not a running backs don't matter type of guy. That's like one of the, I guess, things that really bothers me is like, well, this guy's not worth anything to the spread. Uh, I disagree with those statements sometimes because maybe like Henry might not improve the Tennessee Titans rushing efficiency. In fact, we've seen that this year. Um, where he was out of the lineup. The Titans actually ran the ball just as well. It's the passing game that kind of suffered monumentally. And that happens because now the opposing teams don't really have to focus in or key in on him being in on the field. And we see that a lot. I think people um, often equate or or just kind of uh, string up these narratives without really backing them. But uh, yeah, overall, over the course of years, Matt, you start to see some repeatability in things like red zone percentage. Um, ability to force turnovers, there's probably something there and it's not just noise. All right. So we've got potential looks Titans first half minus two and a half. Ryan Tannehill first touchdown and anytime touchdown score. That's a pretty good way to circumvent a really efficient market as far as the full game side in total is concerned in Tennessee. And at this age, I'd love to get your take on the nightcap on Saturday, San Francisco at Green Bay. Currently, we are recording this Thursday, mid-afternoon Pacific time, early evening for you back east. I hope it's not too chilly and maybe not too snowy in Toronto. I know it's been a rough go lately, but we might see similar conditions in Green Bay when the Packers take on the Niners, uh, at least in terms of the frigid temperatures at Lambeau Field. Green Bay going to be laying, uh, if the line holds now, five and a half points and a total of 47. What do you make of this one? Yeah, so I actually had to bet San Fran very quickly today because I'll mention him again, but Adam Chernoff has um, some market influence now. His tweets will move the market, um, whether that's him betting him himself or someone betting them on his behalf or just people tailing it. Uh, regardless, I think one of the important things you have to do in this space is be very cognizant of all the people that could potentially move a number. And if you see someone get down on something you like, you got to you got to really follow it quickly or else you're going to lose that number. So I had to bet San Fran earlier today. They're my favorite side of this weekend overall. I don't think that there's that big of a gap between these two teams. A lot of it was built off of early week, I would say, uh, injury report situations where you had the possibility of Fred Warner and Nick Bosa both being out for the 49ers. Midweek, we also get the Jimmy G uh, possibly could miss this game with a shoulder injury type of thing, which... Um, based off where that report came from, I, I I was not buying it whatsoever. And it's kind of like completely re- reversed itself right now, where it seems like, although Bosa has not officially cleared protocol yet, he is practicing with the team. There is an expectation that he's going to play. Fred Warner's nearly 100% to play. I feel that Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, all the reports now are 
it basically like his arm would have to fall off for him not to play this game this weekend. So you get that positive variance in terms of the injury report uh, for the 49ers. And then you get Valdez Scantling downgraded to doubtful for the Packers today, which is a low key, bigger injury than I think people will realize because of his ability to stretch the field. The 49ers play a lot of zone coverages. I think when you don't have that deep threat available for the other team anymore, and you don't blitz a whole lot like the 49ers can get a pass rush with your front four. Now you can devote all these players into coverage in these short and intermediate routes. It's a lot harder to beat that. So I think that's a key injury. And then on top of that, you have David Bakhtiari, who everyone expected is just going to return this week, right? Uh, they got the bye week. They activated him off IR. He's going to be back. Now that's sort of up in the air as well. And even if he does play, we have seen a lot of offensive linemen return off extent, uh, extended stints in the past where they just have been rusty in the early going and not up to the level that they need to be. So you're getting a lot of things working in favor of the 49ers. I can talk ad nauseum about the, the matchup advantage they have on the ground against Green Bay. I think we're all well aware of that at this point. The Packers really didn't play teams this year that can run the ball effectively. Uh, Cleveland would have been one where if Baker Mayfield doesn't have four turnovers in that game, it's a very different game because the Browns ran for 8.8 yards per carry on Christmas Day. That's a big advantage for this 49ers offense. So um I, I can't get to this price. Obviously, the bye week is is very important. It this, you know, typically speaking, in this week of the NFL playoffs, um, you would see a lot of money coming in on the home teams that were off the bye in the past because it's just that crucial. But now we're getting to a gap that is just way too large between these two teams, in my opinion. And on top of that, last thing I'll say in regards to Green Bay, if you look at the other elite teams in the league, whether that Kansas City. Buffalo, Tampa Bay, you look at these teams' margin of victories over the course of the year, they're all over a touchdown, well over a touchdown. Packers' margin of victory is 4.8 points. They tend to play closer games. This is why the market kind of has not believed in them this year because their point differential is not that large. But ultimately, I, I, I just I can't get here. Like this is it's a it's a big number with the Packers. So now the question is five and a half or six. There's a big difference. Obviously, six, a semi-key number. Would I play five and a half? I can't say I would, but if I was looking to recreationally just bet this game on Saturday night and have a side, it's definitely the 49ers. Now that we're below the key number of six, would you also give a bit more of a look to the money line? Obviously, when the point spread moves, the money line will move correspondingly, but below the key number of six, if you could get about a two to one payout on the Niners winning outright, any added thought to that way to attack things? Um, I'm less uh, inclined to play underdog money lines against Green Bay because of exactly what I talked about. If, if you look at a, distrib a team's distribution, um, Green Bay's is much, much tighter, in my opinion, than other teams. And everyone is, everyone is calling for Green Bay to fall off a cliff every single year going into the season. They always reference their record in close games from the year before. But again, repeatability. There's something to Aaron Rodgers just being able to win close games. I, I, he's a good quarterback. And yes, sometimes the Packers look like they don't know what's going on, but they continuously pull out close games. So when I look at this particularly, I don't actually love the 49ers money line price as much as I do the spread. Got it. And one factor that could really play a role late, something I'm considering here, Kyle Shanahan up there with the best game planners and play callers among every head coach left. But when it comes to game management, I wonder if there's just a fatal error lurking around the corner. I'm 
kind of surprised it didn't catch up to them in Dallas. But then again, that was Mike McCarthy on the other sideline. So somebody going uh, toe to toe with him. I mean, kicking a field goal on fourth and one from the 22 on the third drive when they could have taken a three score lead and really gotten a firm grasp on that game early. Punting on fourth and one from about midfield with three minutes left. Didn't end up coming back to bite them, although Dallas quickly crossed midfield as if they had gone for it and, you know, failed and never punted in the first place. At a certain point, good teams, you know, might make these, to me, game management mistakes really come back to bite the Niners. Where do you net out on Shanahan as such a good game planner and play caller versus a pretty dicey game manager, if you agree with that assessment in the first place? Oh, I do. I definitely do. I think he costs them a lot of win expectancy in game by just being a little bit too conservative at times. This is not a game where I would want to be too conservative because again, they could build up some sort of lead, but uh, you said it didn't bite them last week against the Cowboys. That doesn't mean it won't bite them going forwards. I, I think Shanahan is an above average coach. I think he's a great game planner. I think he draws up one of the best early scripts of any coaches in the entire league. Uh, but yeah, that's all, always a legitimate concern when you're betting the 49ers um, and a lot of teams in the league, though. That's that's the reality. There's just not too many coaches um, that you're really comfortable with in all game states in order to make optimal decisions. Um, and even then, uh, a lot of them, the gambles that some do make don't pay off. So um, let's I, I, I mean, it's not really factored into my handicap a whole lot this week, um, but if Shanahan were to make some really bad in-game decisions, like it's not going to surprise me because that's consistently happened under his tenure in San Fran. One more question on this game, then we'll move on to Sunday. With the line ticking down to five and a half, there's an element of asymmetric risk in somebody waiting if they want the Niners. No need to take the five and a half right now. A tick back up to six, way more meaningful than a tick or even a couple of ticks down to five or four and a half. So if you're looking to bet the Niners now and you don't have plus six yet, any chance we see those sixes return, would you recommend just sitting on the sidelines for a bit? And if you really want to play them for just a little bit, then maybe a reduced amount on plus five and a half at post? I would wholeheartedly agree with you. I think you you hit the nail on the head, right? At this point, you don't really need to chase the number because even if it was to move to five, four and a half, you're not really losing much value going through five, which is a relatively dead number. Whereas if it to bounce back to six, you have a lot of upside for you. So I would agree with you there at this point, just wait. I honestly have no no idea which way these games are going to go this week. Um, one thing that I do early in the week, not necessarily always early, but it was earlier this week, is I reach out to other bettors to see if we can figure out a way to get a big free price on a game. And um, it's been all over the map this week in terms of who people like. It's There's no consistency. And I, I think that kind of speaks to how um, tight these lines are so to speak that you know there's not really seem there doesn't really seem to be one consent, consensus sharp side or that game where I'm asking other people and we all seem to line up or no one wants to take the other side so uh, I don't know where this is going to go but um yeah the the, the risk and the downside I would say in waiting for another six if you like San Fran is is low I think that's a great transition to the next game at Rams Bucks because I've been hearing a lot of two-way action in this one of late, uh, maybe getting a little bit lopsided in the Rams' favor. Again, the Rams currently an expensive plus three, probably going to have to lay minus 120 to get the field goal with the Rams. Consensus total looks to be 48 for this one. What's your take on Rams-Bucks in the first game on Sunday? This one is the one of the tougher ones for me this week. I would say it's probably the toughest where I have the least feel on it. Um, obviously, we did the Twitter space together, like you mentioned, Matt, um, and my 
you know, you, you heard the disappointment uh, from me in not getting a good number on the Rams. Part of that is because I think they have a decent stylistic mismatch with the, with the Bucks here in general. Um, one of it, one of the mismatches being the Rams have a very good pass protecting offensive line. They have the pe- best pass block win rate in the entire league. Now the Andrew Whitworth situation throws things in flux and it's a complete question mark, but the Bucks don't have more than one dynamic pass rusher. They don't really have a secondary guy that can get after the quarterback. It's been an issue for them a whole lot. They have to rely on the blitz. That's been a Todd Bowles staple for a long time. They blitz more than any other team in the league. Matt Stafford's numbers are very good against the blitz. He also has great receivers that can beat man coverage. If you're going to devote extra bodies into getting after Stafford, and he has Cooper Cup one-on-one, Odell Beckham one-on-one, Van Jefferson one-on-one, He's the kind of guy that'll take chances. He'll throw the ball up to those guys and they can make plays. Obviously, we saw the fade uh, for a touchdown in the first quarter to Odell Beckham um, in the Arizona game as well. So I like that from the Rams matchup side of things. On the other side of things, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, had a great tweet today. I encourage people to follow him and check him out. Uh, I think he's fantastic in terms of, of producing content. But it was in regards to Tom Brady's numbers as a quarterback uh, when defenses disguise their coverage. And if defenses don't disguise their coverage, he basically torches them. And when they do disguise their coverage, his numbers are much closer to average. And the Rams disguise coverage more than any team in the entire league. So I think that's something working in their favor. On top of it, we haven't really seen the Bucks tested without Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown. Like the wide receiver core is just so much worse without those guys. And now you have the luxury of having Jalen Ramsey and Darius Williams on the outside one kind of takes Mike Evans out of the game. There's big matchup advantages all over the field, in my opinion, for the Rams. The great equalizer is obviously Tom Brady. He is They have a, a huge advantage in his playoff experience, uh, but also just an advantage over Stafford in general, who's way more turnover prone and also doesn't produce the same results outdoors, historically speaking, career-wise, as he's done in the Dome and on, on, on turf. So those are the concerns. But at this number, I do side to the Rams. We also have to monitor the status of the Bucks offensive lineman. Ryan Jensen did practice today, which is huge because without him, Aaron Donald in the middle, that's a complete disaster waiting to happen. Tristan Wirfs, now another all-pro at right tackle, that can be a devastating loss for them against his defensive line as well. So we have to monitor that. I think there's a lot of upside in the Rams because of those offensive line injuries overall for the Bucs. Um, I I think it's a Rams or nothing game as much as I, I would hate betting against Brady. Uh, I, I think that's the way to look. When you touch on the quarterback matchup, there is one element that I see that maybe a long shot to even come into play. So check me if I'm getting too in the weeds on this, but something that might nudge me the other way just a bit. And it's a nudge at most, but I couldn't help but think when I saw Matthew Stafford looking like the last thing he wanted to do on Monday night was attempt a quarterback sneak it took two of them from well inside the one to break the plane and get the Rams a touchdown. And Tom Brady, the master of the quarterback sneak. So I'm thinking if this is close late, if a team needs, you know, one tough yard, I know how the Bucks are going to get it. I'm not as sure how the Rams are going to get it, especially because aside from Stafford sneaking, the Bucks defense excels at stopping handoffs to a running back. Does that even enter your consciousness when it comes to this game? Or is that me just grasping at straws trying to make a case for Tampa Bay? I wouldn't say that that specifically entered my consciousness, but the the main the two issues for me in in terms of siding with the Rams are Stafford's inconsistency. 
because you never know what you're going to get on a weekly basis. That includes the quarterback sneaks. That includes everything he does. He could have a four turnover game and it's not going to surprise anyone. If Tom Brady did, it's going to surprise a lot of people. So you got that, that quarterback disparity. Then also from a game plan perspective, the Rams run a lot on early downs. That's been like their MO in the latter half of the year, especially. And that would play right into the hands of the Bucks defense. Do I think McVay is the type of guy that is going to alter strategy on offense when it's been working for them for the majority of the year? I'm not so sure because they have, historically speaking, not necessarily played to the weaknesses of their opponents. Um, they do some tricky stuff. They, you know, There was a, a large portion of time where they're doing a lot of east to west runs against teams that didn't have fast linebackers and really couldn't cover that poor tacklers. But uh, that's the big concern to me. If the Rams come out and they just think that they're going to run the exact same offense that they've been running for the latter half of the year, and now oh, they have Cam Akers back and they're just going to pound the rock, I'd be a, much more concerned about that. The Bucks do give up a lot of explosive runs um, while their success rate against opposing running backs is high in terms of limiting them. They have been killed with some big gainers this year, but that's just a tough strategy to rely on if you're going to constantly put Stafford in these second and third and long situations. So that's the biggest concern. It's why I like this game the least. The number obviously has something to do with that. I wish the Rams had just won a close game against the Cardinals and our perception was a little bit different because on paper, I, I think that they are a very, very good football team. They just have a lot of uh, inconsistencies. Another team coming off a blowout win last week, and it might be skewing perception in a way that you're more open to, the Buffalo Bills traveling to Kansas City in the nightcap on Sunday, an AFC Championship game rematch. Kansas City down to minus two, even some minus one and a half out there, total down to 53 and a half as a consensus number. Any current outlook one way or the other on Bills Chiefs? I have a personal investment on Kansas City in the Bet the Process Calcutta auction. So that kind of plays into this as well, going up against Whale Capper, uh, who has the bills here. The reality is no one wants to bet against Buffalo right now. There's a, for a couple reasons. We have uh, two major data points that I think everyone is going to look at when breaking down this game. We have one, which was with the bills beating down the Chiefs earlier this year, 38 to 20 at Arrowhead, which in my opinion very misleading because you had no Chris Jones for the Chiefs. You had no Traverius Ward, who were ruled out very late in the week in that game. You also had the Chiefs commit four turnovers in that game, which was a very big problem for them early in the season, which they've since corrected in the latter half of the season. I will say somewhat corrected because Mahomes still does have a lot of turnover-worthy plays, as does Josh Allen on the other side. But that's one data point. The second is obviously last week's game between the Bills and the Patriots. People don't care that the Chiefs blew out the Steelers because the expectation that was that the Chiefs were going to blow out the Steelers. And in fact, I've heard a lot of people talk about how they're not even impressed with that win because the Chiefs were sleepwalking through a quarter and a half. They were down 7 nothing, and then they managed to score five touchdowns in basically 10 minutes of game action. But the Bills win is as lopsided a victory as I can remember in a long time. And anytime you see something like that, it's just very difficult to forget about it. Like to put it into context, the first touchdown pass to Dawson Knox was a throwaway by Josh Allen. He came out after the game and said he didn't even know that was a touchdown pass. He was walking back to the huddle because all he did was try to throw the ball away. That's how right things went for the Bills last week. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, how can this number be what it is? 
you know, when, when we think about the Bills as a whole, and I get last week's game, go back to a month ago, just over a month ago, they went to Tampa Bay and they played the Buccaneers. The Bucs closed minus three and a half at home. Now the Bucs needed overtime to win and cover that game, a game that they largely led and largely dominated until garbage time. But it was a three and a half closer. And now we're down to one and a half, two in some spots. Bigger home field advantage for the Chiefs in the playoffs. Better team, in my opinion. But it's just very hard for people to want to bet against the Bills right now because you have this super high ceiling. So what I come back to is, what's the probability that the Bills hit this super? I I always speak in probabilistic terms, right? Because of course, Buffalo can win this game by 21 points. And that's not going to surprise anyone. But I go back through Josh Allen's history as a quarterback. And I did this for the Matchbook podcast earlier this week, where he's played 66 regular season and postseason games in his career. And I took what I consider to be like the top 80th percentile. Um, these were games where he had a quarterback rating of 120 or more. So these are games where he played at an absolutely elite level. And I looked at the following week of those games. Well, the following week, the average quarterback rating for him was 84.6. The median was 79.7. He only had two of those 12 games where he was over 100 QBR. And that's basically in line with the quarterback ratings of Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, and Daniel Jones this season for perspective. So I don't think it's just this guarantee that he's going to come out and perform at the same level that he did last week, especially with the inconsistency we saw down the stretch this year. They, they were up 13-10 on the Jets going into the fourth quarter to win the division. They were Trailing very... the Falcons at halftime not long before that. Exactly, right? Um, they got smoked by the Colts at home, 41-15 to in a game they, they, they lost by 26 there. So really, if we look at the Bills' last two months as a whole, they basically dominated the Patriots twice, which you can argue maybe there's some sort of stylistic mismatch that they have there in order to be able to dominate them twice. And they really beat down the Saints with Trevor Simeon. Outside of that, they've played more bad games than good. I get Buff- how good Buffalo is. Like this, but the Chiefs are the team statistically that's like number one in EPA down the stretch for the latter half of the year. Um, they've cut out a lot of the turnover issues that they have. Like it's it's so narrative-y, but it's like Patrick Mahomes is gonna be a one and a half point favorite at home. How you know, I I'm I'm very I'm I'm struggling with this here overall because um, I like the Chiefs in this game, but I'm also falling into the man the Bills look like a juggernaut type of situation. I don't have a huge numbers edge, like roughly minus two and a half between minus two and a half and minus three for me in this game. But I think ultimately I actually may add to my Chiefs position when this is all said and done because I've just continued to talk myself into it over the course of the week where. Um, very, very equal teams. I make the Chiefs marginally better. You add in the home field advantage. You add in the likelihood that the Buffalo Bills are at their peak in market right now coming off that win. It's it's just very difficult for me to ignore. So it's a, a Kansas City or nothing game for me where I feel like I'll probably be on a lonely island with Kansas City this week. Yeah, and as you walk through that handicap, first and foremost, I want to take nothing away from what Buffalo did last week. I mean, that was just phenomenal on every level. Seven drives, seven touchdowns, 
no punts, no field goals, no turnovers, no failed fourth downs. First team ever to do that. Essentially, they gained every single yard available to them before they were kneeling all the ball to run out the clock. While that was so spectacular, I mean, Football Outsiders pegs it as the second best offensive performance they've tracked since 1983, which, by the way, I'd like to see a better one than that. I didn't know that was possible. But at the same time, Football Outsiders late this season had the Bills pegged as the most inconsistent team they've ever tracked. So to me, this is a rare game with a pretty short spread, but a high degree of variance, add in the high total, and I'm wondering if in addition to just Chiefs minus two, you might be considering any alt lines because it wouldn't be a surprise to see either team win this game by seven or ten points, and there would obviously be a better payout if you're willing to go out on that kind of a limb. I have not considered that personally. Um I, I would say this, you know, a lot of people are throwing the bills in teasers this week, right? Because they fit, they don't actually fit the profile of a long teaser in terms of the variance of the game because the total's so high, but the appeal of getting the bills at more than a touchdown crossing through three and seven is going to be something big. I, I can see lots of scenarios in which either team here blows out the other. Uh, bills have already done it in Kansas city. Kansas City did it to the Bills last year in this in this uh, it was to get to the Super Bowl, right? I think that was the uh, AFC Championship game. Yes, the, the offenses on these teams are so complete that if you have one of these teams that puts together an elite offensive performance and the other team is just average that day, you can get out to a very big margin. So I do get I do kind of agree with what you're saying. It's not something I had previously considered before we talked about this. Um, and again, part of it is just because the, the Bills actually scare the crap out of me, like betting against them right now, because I I can't ignore the human element of things either in terms of wa- having watched the game last week. But uh, yes, I think there are way more scenarios that everyone wants to see a close game. We think that these are the two best teams in the league. So everyone thinks, oh, it's coming down to the wire. It's going to come down to the last possession. No, I, I mean, there are lots of scenarios where it doesn't. Yeah, well, an alt line may be something to consider. And I'd like to throw out just a few quick props and derivatives to, you know, kind of circumvent the fact that these full game spreads and totals, again, are so efficient right now. And there's one I wanted to run by you in the Niners-Packers game. And that's an angle looking possibly at field goal unders. Part of that being this is the one game with a potential weather impact this weekend. Not really wind or precipitation, but single-digit temperatures, despite what the Bills offense showed us last week, it's known to have an impact at times in some ways. And field goals under 3.5, minus 150. Longest field goal in the game, under 45.5. I'm seeing that for just minus 105. So that especially piques my curiosity. At the same time, we talked about Shanahan being conservative at times. That could mean going for field goals when he should try for touchdowns. We saw Matt LaFleur do the same thing in the most pivotal moment of the Packers season last year. So I'm trying to reconcile that against the conditions we're looking at for this game. Mason Crosby seemingly falling off a cliff. Any inclination at all on field goal unders at Lambeau Field on Saturday night? I think the 49ers are the... If you had to ask me who's the hardest team to bet a field goal total on, the 49ers would be right up there. Part of the reason why is you have a head coach who will settle for field goals. We know that. Kyle Shanahan doesn't gamble a lot. He will kick long field goals. They have a reliable kicker as well in Robbie Gold. But the 49ers actually lead the league in scoring touchdowns in the red zone at over 67%. They were number one this year. So the opportunities to score field goals or to kick field goals 
might not be there, especially when you consider that if they do get to the red zone, their running game is probably working and they can probably pound the rock against this Green Bay team, if not work George Kittle over the middle of the field as well, who actually has not been, uh, you know, having uh, big pass catching games in the last couple of weeks either. So for those reasons, it's all, it's, it's just very, very difficult for me to say. Um, Green Bay, they're on the other end of the spectrum because they're actually a below average red zone team which would shock a lot of people. I think part of the reason why is lack of secondary weapons outside of Devontae Adams. So in the red zone, teams can focus on him a little bit more. This is just hypothesis, by the way. Um, But they're below average this year, 18th in the league in terms of scoring touchdowns in the red zone. They don't have a great kicker. So their coach wants to go for it more. So you get this interesting dichotomy for both teams where gut feel is under, is is a solid play or value play because of the potential of weather impact as well. But um, it's that's a tough one for me. Yeah, we can chalk those up to maybe just a lean for the time being. But as you talk about the Packers' red zone struggles, teams being able to key in on Adams more, I saw an immediate parallel to the point about MBS maybe being a stealth absence if he is indeed out because not having him to stretch the field almost puts the Packers in a bit of red zone mode even between the 20s in this one. So that might just fortify the look at the Niners plus six if we do indeed see that number again. A couple more quick props involving the nightcap on Sunday, Buffalo, Kansas City. One that uh, I was a little bit bummed to hear Steve Fezzik talk about on the Dream Preview today because it's been just an absolute meal ticket for me these past couple years. And I I don't want to totally blow it up, but I do really like in this game, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards, not just the high total, but the fact that chip shot field goals are not going to win this game. I like to think that Sean McDermott has learned his lesson from last year's AFC title game when he was kicking short field goals. And we saw how that worked out for Buffalo by the time the second half got rolling. So at minus 150 or less, I really like the odds of seeing a one yard touchdown in this game. It sounds a lot like it's threading the needle, but it's more common than most people would probably think. And some of the offshores and even I think one or two regulated U.S. books have been offering this in the minus 125 to minus 130 range. I see a lot of value there. And then returning the favor, stealing a bet that I heard Fezzik talk about, um, Buffalo first quarter plus half a point at minus 145. The value of getting that hook in the first quarter. Uh, I know this game has a high total, but you know we saw Buffalo jump out to an early lead against the Chiefs in each of their last two appearances at Arrowhead in the past calendar year. So the odds of a push if Buffalo doesn't have you know a short lead after the first quarter made that sound pretty enticing. Any thought on laying minus 150 for a one-yard touchdown or the Bills in the first quarter catching half a point up to minus 145? I'm not a big quarter derivatives guy, but that argument logically makes sense to me. More so, though, on the one and a half, I do like that under. Um, and I people forget how often penalties are called in the end zone nowadays as well. Mm-hmm. So they think like, ah, you got to get that. They got to get down exactly to the one yard line in order to score. What are the, op- what are the chances of that? Well, the defensive pass interference in the end zone, which is called quite regularly nowadays also spots the ball at the one yard line. So that's your, your kind of deal breaker there. And on top of that, I agree with you. I don't think McDermott is going to be conservative in this game at all. Um, especially after last year, he'd much rather go out on the bills getting stopped at the one yard line and say, you know what? I tried something different this year than sending out a field goal team for an 18 yard field goal. Like that's not going to happen. Uh, the chiefs, same thing. They're going for it on the one yard line, probably running some sort of gimmick shovel pass or something like that. Like they always do. Uh, although 
they broke that out. I'm rambling here. They broke that out against the Steelers late in the game. I feel like there's some sort of trick play coming this week where it's like some sort of fake shovel. I, I don't know what they're doing, but there's no reason to roll out that play in a blowout win other than maybe next week we're going to do something with that. Um, but yes, I like that one. I think that's a, a very strong value play. That last point you made about the Chiefs maybe just putting something on tape to plant it in the Bills' minds sound like next-level Belichick type of thinking. It reminds me of hearing how he laid in blowouts would run plays that were nowhere near optimal, but if it was a blowout game, just to tweak, you know, if uh, there were any analytic staff on other teams doing some advanced scouting, looking at tendencies and, and percentages, you know, to see where the Patriots were a stronger week. If you can just muddle that up a bit or, or give your opponent something to prep for that you have no intention of actually throwing their way, you know, when we're talking about tiny edges we're looking for as betters, you can believe these coaches are trying to do anything they can along those lines as well. So maybe Andy Reid was getting at that kind of angle late against Pittsburgh. Rob, we've covered the four division round games. One more line I want to throw your way looking ahead a few weeks. It looks like we're now, um, I saw just earlier today, a few more Super Bowl early lines pop up. Any initial thoughts? It looks like NFC on the money line, minus 115, AFC minus 105, total 51 and a half. Kind of a bet to me on whether or not the Bills Chiefs winner on Sunday makes it to the Super Bowl. Because if it's Tennessee or Cincinnati, the NFC is probably a prohibitive favorite. Um, do you have any initial read on that line, NFC minus 115 on the money line for Super Sunday? I do not. I think that's a really good price. I would probably make the NFC a small favorite, um, just purely math based. Like my head is telling me, winner of KC Buffalo is going to beat Tennessee or Cincinnati and go to the Super Bowl. But Cincinnati beat Kansas City a few weeks ago. Granted, that was at home. Tennessee, I mean, they, they're they like the giant killer this year. They've beaten everybody. They killed t- Kansas City this year. Uh, they absolutely smoked them. So they've beaten both of these teams before. Purely math perspective, I think a lot of people will be caught off guard by that, making the NFC a small favorite. But just with, with the quality of the remaining teams in the NFC overall, I think I would put them as a small fave. So a uh, tough one. I mean, uh, I, what I'm realizing now is we, we have a lot of potentially great Super Bowl matchups, which is nice for this year. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I know last year's matchup sounded, you know, like one of the best we could have hoped for and the game didn't play out that way. But if we get a good matchup, then we can at least have a couple weeks of hope of a really good Super Bowl at SoFi Stadium. And I like your point about breaking that down. Again, probabilistically, that's how you explain things the best because it sounds counterintuitive to think hey the AFC has the two best teams left how are they an underdog in the Super Bowl but just knowing you know once we get beyond those first two teams and you know one of them's going home this weekend that picture starts to become a little bit more clear so nothing worth betting necessarily on an early Super Bowl line but a quick breakdown for a portfolio I think most of these bets we've discussed probably just small bets but I've gotten a sense that you like perhaps the Titans first half minus two and a half Ryan Tannehill, first touchdown scorer in the range of 18 to 1. Again, shop around. You can probably find an even better price than that. Similarly, Tannehill, anytime touchdown scorer, 3 to 1 or better. Niners plus 6 if that returns. Otherwise, if you like them, laying 5, 5.5 at post for a reduced amount, um, probably somewhat harmless. Again, don't overextend your bankroll. Rams plus 3, minus 120, um, similar to like a Niners plus 5.5, where not a ton of value, but certainly a lean that way. Sounds like you do have a good inkling on the Chiefs minus two. And then uh, I'll include my my favorite prop out of the week. Shortest touchdown in Kansas City, under one and a half yards, good up to minus 150. Of all those, does anything seem like it warrants 
a little bit more than like a, a pizza bet? Or does anything seem like we should just strike it from the record because you wouldn't even put $1 on it? 49ers at six, if Bosa is in, is a, is a must bet in my opinion. It, it, I, I just, you know, when you think about these teams play back in week three in San Fran, Santa Clara, I should say, the 49ers were a three and a half point home favorite in that game. And now they're a six point road favorite. Now, granted, by week, I get it. Big home field advantage for the Packers. The Packers are better than we thought they were probably at the beginning of the year at that point. That has to be accounted for. So are the 49ers, in my opinion. It's a team rounding in the form, completely different offense. They were running Trey Sermon at running back in that game. And now they're using Debo Samuel out of the backfield. I I, I just, I think that's a, a, a good bet. And that again, that doesn't mean, probabilistically speaking, doesn't mean Green Bay can't wipe the floor with the 49ers because of course they can, but that to me is, is the wrong number. Six is not a, a good number in that scenario.